Another great episode of Mystery of Parenthood is coming up next. If you like what you hear, please go to our website, redsearadio.org, and donate to our apostolate, or even become a member of our Immaculata Recurring Gift Society and keep us on the air. Thank you so much, and God bless you. All right. Yeah, please slow down. Uh, make sure nobody's in front of you or behind you before you do that. But um, this is the Mystery of Parenthood, and um, we'll begin with our prayer as we always do. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, from you, every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, Grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our families sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you, who is life, truth, and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. St. John Paul II, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So, unfortunately, Steph, is um, it's been great having her back. Um, but she's got a cold, so <laughs> she's kind of been out of, out of sorts for about a week now. So anyway, keep her in your prayers. Uh, I thought I'd come back. We, we did take off last week, hopefully giving her a chance to recover and, um, she seems to be on the mend and doing better, but, um, but, uh, keep her in your prayers and hopefully it'll be all over here shortly. So anyway, I was going to come back, um, and finish the document we were going through again. If you'll remember, we were going through the rights and duties of parents, and the and there's something put out by the USCCB, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. And instead of it being like a list of rights and duties, it's actually a number of um, quotes from various uh, magisterial documents and and uh, the Catechism. And um, we'll just finish that today. I think we can get through it. It's still got a little bit to go. But when we ended last time, we ended on one of my favorite um, sections or favorite um, little articles of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's number 2,223, so 2223. And, um, and I think it's I think it, it's got a number of points. But I'll— Reread it. We read it the last time, but we only had a, a few minutes when we ended, and um, I think that we'll start there. So, again, this is from Catechism of the Catholic Church, number 2223, and it says, uh, Parents have their first responsibility for the education of their children. They bear witness to this responsibility first by creating a home of tenderness, forgiveness, respect, fidelity, and disinterested service are the rule. The home is well suited for education in the virtues. This requires an apprenticeship in self-denial, sound judgment, and self-mastery, preconditions of all true freedom. Parents should teach their children to subordinate the material and instinctual dimensions of interior and to the interior and spiritual ones. Parents have a grave responsibility to give good example to their children by knowing how to acknowledge their own failings to their children parents will be better able to guide and correct them and they have two quotes one from scripture it says he who loves his son will not will not spare the rod he who disciplines his son will profit him and then the other one um, is also from scripture i'm sorry fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the lord and so there are a couple of points here. I mean, um, 
first, we may rehash some because I don't know exactly where we started, but I know we, uh, with regard to this, but um, the way we bear witness uh, as parents is first by creating a home where tenderness, forgiveness, respect, fidelity, and disinterested service are the rule. A couple points there. I mean, that's really should be kind of what we're trying. You know, we want to be a home where there's tenderness and forgiveness and respect and faithfulness to one another, fidelity and service as the rule. Of course, I think that that points to the fact that that doesn't mean that there are never going to be times when maybe we're not as tender as we ought to be or forgiving as we should be or respectful or even as faithful as we ought to be. But that should be kind of our goal. So I think it would be good as parents to put this in front of us and 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 ask. It, it'd actually probably be a pretty good um, examination of conscience on the parent side um, to say, well, you know, over this last however long it's been since my confession, has, has my home been a place where tenderness and forgiveness and respect and fidelity and service are the rule? Um, boy, that, you know, I got to get the confession. But, but, um, but I think that, that that'd be a good start doing that. And, and, and how does that happen? That happens in everyday life. So those are ideas that we want to exude. And I think, I think if, we're, if we'll ask the Holy Spirit to come in as we go through um, different struggles with our children, that we'll think, okay, is the way I'm handling this communicating in my actions and in my words and my tone, tenderness? Is it communicating forgiveness? Is it communicating respect and faithfulness and disinterested service? And I think, you know, I, I was thinking last night, because um, one of my one of my children had asked me to review a paper that she was turning in. You know, for, I don't get this turning in at midnight. I mean, uh, that seems to be the new rule, but it always catches me off guard because I had a really, I had a long day at work. I didn't get home till after seven. And, um, and then she sent me a text and said, Hey, I sent it to you, but I'm going to spend some time with my friends. I'll call you when I get out. Well, by the time she called me, it was like 1030. And all I kept thinking was number one, it's due in an hour and a half. How much can I help? And number two, I'm really tired. <laughs> and, and, you know, with the help of the Holy Spirit, I said, okay, what do I want to communicate here? I'm here for you. What I want to communicate with, I want to help you. And, and sometimes we have to overcome our natural inclinations, which are, I'd really like to go to sleep or I'd really not to have to look through this and, and do that. And I think that, that that's something that if we ask the Holy Spirit to come in, because I had to ask him for help last night, to be honest, because I was, when the phone rang, <laughs> my initial response is, oh, I cannot believe she's calling at 1030 and wants me to help her with this. But picked up the phone. Uh, of course, her cheery attitude and smile helps. You know, they do the FaceTime stuff as well, which I don't really appreciate unless it's my daughters, I guess, because it's nice to see their face. And that, that was another thing that helped me. But I was able to kind of just talk myself as I was saying, it's good enough, just turn it in when she had a question to try to just take it in. And so now plenty of times I've failed on that. I've jumped on them for, this is too late. If you wanted my help, you should have those type of things. Last night was a graced moment. Um, something that I couldn't have done without the help of the, gra- of the grace that I had asked. And I'm happy that I did it. And by the time it ended, it was, it was good. The other thing I find is if you'll work through it and you start and you just say, okay, I'm going to give into this. I'm going to, I'm going to make myself present. I'm going to make myself available. I want the, her to know that I'm here. That's something that we did again, not tooting my own horn, because I've more than frequently failed at that. But I want the character of our relationship and the character of what she perceives as her 
mom and what she sees, what she knows is her mom and dad as being people who are characterized by I'm available, but I'm characterized by I'm here to help. And that's really important. I mean, but what I'm saying is it comes up in situations like that. I got a random call from another child who was going through a difficult time, very rarely calls me. Um, and so when he called, I was in the middle of something and I picked up the call and I'm glad I did because he ended up starting to tear up and, uh, about some stuff that he's going through. And I'm, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, I don't have time for this. <laughs> I've got, I've got stuff to do. And, you know, he was, I'm so glad that I was able to take the call and, and do it. So what I'm saying is it, it happens in moments when you're busy. It happens in moments when it's not the best time. And those are the sacrifices that we can look to to make. It lends a great time to be practicing that. So maybe bite your tongue or your initial because I really wanted to answer the phone. And my thought was, I'm just going to tell him I can't, I don't have time right now. But his first comment was, thanks, Dad, for taking my, my call, <laughs> which, kind of, which kind of broke that initial response. And then after a few minutes, I realized that he was, you know, really upset about something. And so um, anyway, what I'm saying is you're going to fail. Or if you're like me, you're going to fail at that. You're going you're gonna to be short, not tender, not forgiving, not whatever. But really, I challenge you to try to, to lend a great time to do that, to try to bite your tongue and allow yourself to enter into those unforeseen, often inopportune (laughs) times when they come to you for something, Um, whether it's help on a paper or I've got this issue that I'm dealing with and I really need, you know, your help and your prayers allow yourself to be open to that so that you can be characterized. So, you know, I challenge you for that. And that's where it happens in just the day to day. The next point I think on this one that's really important is the word apprenticeship, which is a, which is a word that, um, it's, it's a word that St. I mean, I'm saying uh, Pope Francis uses quite a bit, um, with regard to how we're meant to disciple people or meant to, be apprentice. If you think about an apprentice, it's somebody who's kind of serves under you and in and through watching how you deal with things and helping them work through um, particular issues that that you have um, some previous experience with because you're the older of the two, that you kind of guide them and coach them. Apprenticeship is taking them up under your wing and walking them through a situation. So those those things happen again also in situations that come up just as a matter of everyday life. How do you deal? And one of the things that we've always suggested here and, and, and have tried to do is this idea, which kind of falls in the idea of, of apprenticeship is kind of coaching them through how do you, how would you respond? How do you think you should respond to this? And then, you know, even role playing, you've got to say this, how would you say that? You know, what would you say? And then take that in and say, well, I might, I might tweak it this way to be maybe a little bit more respectful or a little bit more pointed, whatever needs to happen. And, and you're walking them through that. Um, that's in particularly sound judgment. So you're, you, again, what we want to create in a family, what we, what we need to create in a family is a place where they they look to you, among others, particularly as they grow up, they look to you as a parent, mom or dad, as somebody to come and ask, ask, well, what do you think about this? How would you handle this, dad? How would you handle this, mom? And that happens when they're little. I mean, that, 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 that um, culture in the family has to be one where you have um, – they can come to you with anything about anything. Uh, and how does that happen? It happens by making sure you make yourself available, even when it's not convenient. 
Um, it, it happens with giving them the truth, sometimes the hard truth, but always with love, encouraging them. So in sound judgment, in self-denial, um, you know, hey, maybe you ought to, I mean, the you know, famous thing from our family is the is the event where the where the Xbox was uh, extracted from the wall. Um, sometimes part of that self denial is we may have to as as the master, I guess, or whatever. Not not master in the sense of being a um, them being a slave, but the the master in terms of dealing with things. Sometimes we have to take something away and deny them of it so that they can actually experience the other side. I, like I, that situation where Stephanie yanked the Xbox out of the wall and took a hammer to it, <laughs> killed it. Um, the next few days after that, my son, who was the, the oldest and was in college later, later in college, couple days later after he had gotten over how angry he was that, you know, his Xbox was no longer, um, was down working on something in, in our kind of little living area. And he looked up and he thanked her for, I'm getting so much done <laughs> without, without this there. And which taught him, maybe not in the way he'd like and, and that, Sometimes you have to deny yourself of something that may you may have freedom to have because it, it in and of itself we can talk about whether the Xbox is in and of itself evil, but as long as it doesn't master them, so teaching them in self denial and self mastery. So helping them then now's a good time is during Lent, especially if they're old enough to to help them master. Not being able to eat meat on Fridays or sticking with what they what they've um, decided to give up or what they've decided to take on as a result of it being Lent and to encourage them in that. And so, again, um, look at them as an apprentice, somebody who is in need of and is going to pull up alongside you um, to learn how to deal with certain circumstances. So maybe not the maybe not the breaking of the Xbox, but certainly the removal of it. <laughs> so anyway, Steph got a standing ovation when we told that story at a big parent conference. But I digress. Um, the next one, uh, parents should teach children to, and this is important, to subordinate the material and instinctual dimensions to the interior and spiritual ones. Now, again, in Lent, it's a perfect time to say there, there are more important things. So maybe instead of sleeping a little bit later, get up and, and take 10 minutes or whatever their, whatever their routine is to pray or to read the readings for the day or something along those lines. And again, as an apprentice, part of, I mean, as them being as an apprentice, you may have to sit down and say, hey, why don't you join me and we'll read the scripture aloud or something along those lines. So, but that's, again, the material and instinctual is, you know, I'm going to hit the snooze button. <laughs> and instead of getting up, I'm going to take another 20 minutes to just sleep. And then I'm going to have to hurry up, take a shower and get out the house. Learn, help them to learn that. Um, you know, the other ones are obviously, you know, going to mass. Um, on Sundays, we always made a point to say we don't have to go to Mass. We get to go to Mass. It is it is a place of, of where all those who've gone before us are present um, in the Mass. And even more importantly, Jesus is present there. Mary's present there. Our favorite saints are present there in the Mass. And so while it looks like we're just around a bunch of people— some who we may know, others who we may not, to teach them that there's an, there are invisible realities that are actually more real than what we're experiencing in the material. And that's, again, something, part, you know, how do you do that? You, you pray with them when they grow up. You talk to them about their guardian angels and that anytime you're in a room with even just one other person, there's actually four per- people in that room. 
Um, it looks like two, but there's at least four because the two guardian angels are there as well. And so, again, part of it is just pointing out that there are spiritual, invisible realities that are that are present um, that we acknowledge through prayer, um, through just saying, hey, they're here um, and knowing that. And then the next the next line was parents have a grave responsibility to give good example to their children. And then the next line I'll tie with it. It says, by knowing, by knowing how to acknowledge their own failings to their children, parents will better able, will be better able to guide and correct them. And I know we've talked about this before, but I think you'd be amazed because I think there's a lot of parents um, that want to be right all the time. And even if they recognize they're wrong, um, will stick to it simply to say, you know, I'm the parent and you're the child. And that can be how I disciplined you or what I said no to or what I said yes to um, or things that I did, you know, that, that reveal my own selfishness, that I'm willing to look to them and name it and claim it. That's what we've always, we've always told them. You've got to name the offense and then claim it as I did this and then ask for forgiveness. That, so name, claim, and ask for forgiveness is, is something essential that we have to teach in our own home. And the best way to teach it is to be characterized by when I don't handle something well that I am quick to name what I didn't handle well. Hey, I, I, I was very harsh with my words with you as a result of this. And while they may have been wrong, the, you may have been wrong in what you did, and I should correct you, the way I corrected you was inappropriate. It was wrong. And, it, and for that, would you please forgive me? That should be something that they witness through you. And what I found is amazingly, they, they learn that if you're characterized by it. Here's this again, we've, I've talked about pitching pennies. You got to put pennies. This is not something that happens once. This is something that should happen over and over and over again. And then you are better able to guide and correct them when you give witness to, hey, this is what it's, what it's about. This is, this is how real people in real relationships handle situations when somebody has offended another. And I'm just telling you, try it. You take a month and try it if you haven't ever done it before. When you mishandle something, acknowledge that to your children. Name it. Specify it. Not just in general. When I said this and quote it, or what you best remember, that was wrong. And I offended you and, and you don't deserve that. And I should, and I'm asking you to please forgive me for that offense. And if you get in the habit of doing that, because I'm, maybe you don't mess up, I don't know, but, but I know I do. And this line is something that's just been hammered into me and the the fruits of it are that I find that my children without being told you need to ask forgiveness especially as they've gotten older have come to us named it specifically not in general just like you're doing when you go to confession you're teaching them how to go to confession because that's what it is you you you're showing them that you actually name it not not in general specifically and you claim it, I did this, or I didn't do this, whatever. I, I, it's, it was my choice, therefore it's my fault, mea culpa. <laughs> and I'm asking you to please forgive me. I challenge you, do it for two weeks and, and, and watch what will happen with your kids if you'll just take the time uh, to do that. And humble yourself. Again, here's the deal. I mean, we're meant to be, 
icons of God. And a lot of people don't think about this, but God is humility. (laughs) So humble that he became one of us. So humble that he allowed us to torture and kill him. (laughs) That's how much he loved us. So we need to show humility in what we do to be an accurate reflection of who God is. God is, even though he has the power, even though he could, he humbles himself to become like us. And so we should humble ourselves in front of our children when it's appropriate. And uh, I challenge y'all to do that. So anyway, I'd ask for comments, but there's nobody here to comment. So I'm going to move on to the next one. Um, And this is from right after that. And it says, through the grace of the sacrament of marriage, this is from Catechism 2225. So it's just one more, uh, skip an article and the next article down if you have a catechism available. It says, through the grace of the sacrament of marriage, parents receive the responsibility and the privilege of evangelizing their children. Parents should initiate their children at an early age into the mysteries of faith of which they are called the first heralds for the church. They should associate them from their tenderest years with the life of the church. A wholesome family life can foster interior dispositions that are a genuine preparation for a living faith and remain a support for it throughout one's life. One of my pet peeves is this. I I used to, uh, when the kids were coming up, I mean, I always— made sure that I was their um, their teacher in religious education, particularly for their sacramental years, most specifically for first communion. and And there were sometimes people, parents, who, if I would talk to them, would say, "Well, they're too young to understand." They're too young to know this, that Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity is present in the Eucharist, that that, that there he is in all of his humanity and divinity under the sign of what looks like a piece of bread. But in reality, there he is. And so what I used to always say is, look, don't sell the Holy Spirit short because the child's baptized. They wouldn't be going through it if they weren't baptized. The Holy Spirit resides in them. Do not short them by you thinking that, well, this is too much for them. Now, there are things that are more age appropriate, but with regard to the faith and expressing the faith, there's certainly moral dimensions that we wouldn't talk to a five-year-old or a seven-year-old or even a 10-year-old about that we would wait till they were older. But with regard to the Trinity, with regard to Jesus and his incarnation, with regard to the establishment of his church, with regard to um, the Eucharist, and with regard to the seven sacraments, that Jesus is there present in the priest when they go to confession. You're confessing to Jesus in what looks like the priest. There he is. This idea of sacramentality, the, the invisible is really present in these visible signs, a priest, what looks like a piece of bread, wine, all those type of things. If you'll, if you will teach them that even when you think they might be too young, then do it. And of course, with regard to example, the way we enter a church is something that they need to see, right? I mean, they, when you walk in if Jesus is really present, are we acting like he's really present? You know, one of the things we used to do is, you know, find Jesus. We did baseball and a lot of baseball, a lot of soccer that would, that would require a Sunday. And so when we would go to mass, sometimes harder in some churches than others <laughs> to say, well, when we genuflect, what are, why are we genuflecting? Right, because lots of times, we without even talking about whether what's appropriate or not, lots of times the tabernacle is not 
straightforward, right? Sometimes it's somewhere else. And so we taught them, look for the red candle. Where's the red candle? That's where Jesus is. So when we genuflect, we genuflect towards Jesus. We bow towards the altar, but we genuflect towards the person. And that in and of itself, teaching them that and showing them that you're noticing that is important. I mean, that communicates something about these invisible realities. And you begin doing that when they're little. It, it, it kind of can be fun. Particularly if you walk in early enough into a mass, which we're bad about. But, but if we, you walk in a few minutes before or 10 minutes before or whatever, you can say, hey, when we get in there, let's, let's look where Jesus is. Sometimes really easy. He's right up there behind the altar. So you genuflect that direction. But sometimes he's off to the side or even in some cases he's back outside in another chapel. But we teach them that that's, that that's the case. And so don't be afraid, even when they're young, to communicate to them, particularly those things that are central to the faith, the Trinity, Jesus, the Incarnation, the sacraments, um, all of those things. And again, I've said it a million times, if you've ever listened to the show, hopefully you're rolling your eyes and we'll, <laughs> and we'll repeat after me or repeat before me, which is what my kids is. Sacrament is a visible sign of an invisible reality, an invisible reality that was instituted by Christ, given to us by God himself to give us grace. And that should be something that they know from an early age. And oftentimes when they're asking a question as they get older, say regarding sex, you know, the interaction, I always start off with what's meant for marriage. Marriage is a sacrament. If it's a sacrament, what is it? And they'll tell me what the definition of a sacrament is. So what's the sign? And what is it meant to communicate? The reality of God is faithful, life-giving, all those type of things. And so you're building, again, blocks so that when they're older, you can call on what they already know and then apply it to their lives. So don't be afraid to be the first heralds of the truth about what God has revealed in and through His Son and in through His church, even when you think they are too young to handle it. Like, we fully, I mean, you and I fully understand that Jesus is there present, body, blood. How is that? I mean, like, you and I understand the Trinity, one God, three persons. I mean, we're going to be chewing on that for, the, for eternity. <laughs> so give it to them young and let them go with it. So that's my encouragement to you all and to myself, although right now they're they're old. I just have to recall. I have to get them to remember sometimes and point that out. Anyway, here again, I would be asking for comments, <laughs> but it, you're having to deal with me alone. So here's the next one on this, and this is from the Holy See, and it's on the Charter uh, of the Rights of Family, which was which was put out uh, pretty soon right after uh, John Paul II became. Uh, Pope in 1983, and it says, the spouses have the inalienable right to found a family and to decide on the spacing of births and the number of children to be born, taking into full considerations their, their duties toward themselves, their children already born, the family and society, and a just hierarchy of values in accordance with the objective moral order, order which excludes recourse to contraception, sterilization, and abortion. So we have the inalienable right. I mean, it's, it's one that cannot be taken. It's not given to us by the government. It's given to us by God himself for us to found a family and to make those decisions. But the way we make those decisions, and if uh, wherever you are reading and spending time understanding the theology of the body. And, you know, we can argue about where's the best way to do it. It could be difficult to pick up actual documents that, that are, 
a um, recounting of what John Paul II said. Sometimes that's difficult, but you can pick up a Christopher West book um, on the good news about uh, sex and marriage or uh, Dr. Edward Stree on, I don't have the title of that, but on, on man, woman and, and marriage and, um, and study that so that you can understand why the church is against and, and calls contraception, sterilization and abortion um, intrinsically evil things. And so kind of this, uh, this is another thing that I, that I think is important. It's kind of an aside, but it kind of flows from this. We've always said that, we've always said that, look, the church has an answer for why it's not, they don't just hand down rules without explanation. Lots of times we think they are. And that's why a lot of people will, um, kind of go against that or say, I don't believe that, but why they give the answer to. And while this show and particularly this show is not, I mean, this particular show is not time to discuss that. It is important, I think, to, to make sure that we're looking for the why, understanding why does the church teach what she does with regard to the establishment of family and what's the appropriate way to um, space births uh, in a family, taking into account, you know, how many other kids you have, situation, those type of things. We're not going to get into that on this show, but I'm challenging you during Lent. I'm, I'm giving you a bunch of challenges. You can't do all of them. Pick one <laughs> and do it. But, Maybe somebody out there, if you're asking that question, go and pick up one of those books and and understand what the church teaches. And then from that, this is another thing that I think is important because we're meant to be the domestic church, right? We're meant to be actually a sign of what the church is. And so we can look to the church at how she handles things and learn how should we parent now, there are times when we can just say, do it because I tell you, but that will never stick. We need to have and be prepared to, maybe not in the moment, but at times we need to be prepared to give the why. Why do we not throw trash on the ground? Well, because if everybody did that, there'd be trash everywhere. Or if I do that, somebody's going to have to pick it up. And I could, instead of doing that, go put it in the trash can. That's a why. And that for a simple thing. But we as parents need to be ready to give the moral reason why. And, and, and the answer to why that's important is just like God has done, right? God has given us scripture. He's given us tradition. He's given us the, the church to help us through so that we can take in the church's reasoning and make it our own, you know, submit to it because that makes sense. There's a good reason why I can't do this or I ought to do that. Not just that I have to do it. One of my favorite quotes, not from scripture, I have no idea where it came from, but it speaks to a lot of what we go through in everyday life. Here it is. It says, this is a quote vision without action is a dream action without vision is a nightmare. And if we're forcing them to act a certain way without a vision as to why they're being asked to act that way, then it becomes a nightmare. And so it becomes anger inducing. Um, They become argumentative, all those type of things. We have to, as they grow up, be willing to take the time to explain why. Now, again, there's times when you don't have to do it at the moment. You know, the simplest one is they're playing in the street. We could give them a reason why there's a car coming. And if you get hit by the car, you're dead. I mean, that, 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 but, but if the car's coming, 
no, get over here because I told you, and I'll, then I'll explain. And that's why kind of training to first-time obedience is so important. So anyway, that, that's all an aside to this thing, but I would challenge you to um, at least consider picking up a book if you don't fully understand why the church has the teaching that it has on contraception and sterilization and abortion, that you'll pick up something to do that and then learn from that. Explaining why and understanding why are very important to actually living out a Christian faith, right? Understanding why, not just doing it because, well, that's what the church teaches. By the way, if that's your response, that's not a bad response. That's a great response. Just as if your children say yes and are obedient because they're just obedient, but you never want to leave them there and you never want to leave yourself there because it needs to become part of who you are. So anyway, I digress. Um, so here's the next one uh, from the same document on Charter of the Rights of the Family. Since they have conferred life on their children, parents have the original, primary, and inalienable right to educate them. Hence, they have the right to educate their children in conformity with their moral and religious convictions, taking into account the cultural traditions of the family, which favor the good and the dignity of the child. They should also receive from society the necessary aid and assistance to perform their educational role properly. And so the end there is where we are now is we're not always and maybe very infrequently actually receiving the necessary aid and assistance from society to teach them about what marriage is or what a man and a woman is or all of those things. So that's a battle that we're having to fight, which means that we have to be extra vigilant as parents to teach them in this. I've heard people say, well, I'm just going to let them figure it out on their own. Well, we would never say that about math. <laughs> we would never say, well, we're just going to let them figure out how to multiply five times five. We would never leave it alone. Well, what we believe is way important and more important than math. What we believe is what fosters how we act because what we believe informs our actions. And so we have to accept that we as parents are the original because God gave them to us. We're the primary because we are the ones that God has given charge to. And we have this inalienable right to educate them. Never hand it off to someone else alone. Anybody else that helps, we need to, again, have communication so that our kids, if they hear something that they don't agree, that they think, well, that doesn't sound like what mom and dad have taught, to have the culture that allows them to come back and talk to us. But also that we're kind of aware of who's teaching and what they're being taught. And in this day and age, especially as they get older and they're exposed to things that would definitely contradict uh, the way we've raised them, we need to be able to have a culture where they approach us, but then we have to have an answer as to why we are against things like we just talked about, abortion, contraception, et cetera, or so-called, quote-unquote, um, same-sex marriage, um, those type of things. We have to be able to deal with that even more vigilantly than certainly when I grew up, because there are things happening now and things that are accepted generally <laughs> that would never in society have been something that you would ever have to worry about. So you particularly if you have young kids, are in a time where you're required. I mean, you're going to have difficulties with turning them over to the societal uh, authorities, so to speak, teachers, et cetera, without being vigilant about what they're hearing. Um, and so be vigilant on that. I've used that too many times. But 
just stick to it. Um, here's the good news. You know, I was, I have on my desk, the, one of the quotes from the book of Esther, it says for such a time as this, maybe for such a time as this, you are here in this moment. For such a time as this, you are the parents of these children at this age in this country or in this world. God will provide you the grace of the sacrament of marriage as a parent to be able to do this. Just allow that grace to flow through you in your dealing with Him. I encourage you to not be faint-hearted, not be discouraged, but to be encouraged that God will give you the grace you need in these difficult times to be able to teach your children uh, the morals and the values and the religious convictions that you um, know are right, that are true, good, and beautiful. So anyway, we move on. Um, Let's see the next one. Parents are, this is the next quote, parents are well aware that living conjugal chastity themselves is the most valid premise for educating their children in chaste love and in holiness of life. You as a parent, you as a married couple, the way you handle each other, the way you respond to each other, the way you love one another in service is the single greatest witness that your children will ever receive. (laughs) So think about that when the next time you want to be short with your wife, Trey, (laughs) Um, particularly in front of them. But it's so important to recognize that we're meant to be that sign of what it's like to be faithful to one another, to love one another and to communicate with one another. You are the best and the most um, important sign in educating these children on what it means to have chaste love and holiness of life. All right, here we go. I think we might make it, Dennis, maybe. Uh, Here's the next one. Education is the parent's domain insofar as their educational task continues the generation of life. Moreover, it's an offering of their humanity to their children to which they are solemnly bound in the very moment of celebrating their marriage. So what this is basically saying is when you celebrate your marriage and a child results from that celebration of that marriage, (laughs) um, you need to offer your humanity, which you have in reality in in the event that leads to a child being born. You've, You've offered your humanity now the rest of your life is meant to offer your humanity to them, the good, the bad, and the ugly, right? It, when it's the bad and the ugly, that's when, the, when they ask for forgiveness. This challenging yourself to be good, a good example, is that offering, to be somebody who calls them to excellence, who points them in the right direction. That is... Um, important to make sure that we stay on that. So we, we've got to keep giving ourselves away to our children um, because God's given them to us. Uh, let's see. Next one uh, is from the truth and meaning of human sexuality guidelines for education within the family. And I'm PCF. I'm not sure what that is, but anyway, Parents should be capable of giving their children, when necessary, a positive and serene explanation of the solid points of Christian morality, such as, for example, the indissolubility of marriage and the relationship between love and procreation, as well as the immorality of premarital relations, abortion, contraception, masturbation, all those things. You have to understand what the teaching is and then be able to Give it to them. And so there is a requirement that we do that. So get a book. And the, on the good news of uh, sex and marriage, that would work to, to help you with that. And it is pretty easily accessible and understandable. Um, anyway, I'll challenge you with, on that as well. 
let's see, we're drawing to the close here. Um, here we go. It should be stressed. This is the next one. It should be stressed that the education of children is a sacred duty and a shared task of the parents, both the father and the mother. It requires warmth, closeness, dialogue, and example. In the home, parents are called to represent the good father in heaven, the one perfect model to inspire them. This is why this is called the mystery of parenthood. The mystery of parenthood, mystery comes from mysterion, which in Latin is sacramentum, which is what the sacrament comes from. We have been given the responsibility of being a sign of who God is. And so the way we have to understand the way God acts, we aren't God. But what does love look like? Sometimes it's truth, but always with grace. Um. And so I think that we'll probably end with that because it's kind of the entirety of what this whole show for not just this show, but the entirety of Mystery of Parent is about is you and I as parents should in our mind understand that we're meant to help make God manifest in the way we handle our children. Their first understanding of the way God is is the way they see us and how we handle them. So no pressure there. But but anyway, so uh, we're drawn to a close. Hopefully this was helpful. I know it would have been better if Steph was here, but um, hopefully next week we'll get her back. But um, anyway, always remember that, um, let's see, Steph's always here. Remember this. Remember, only God can take the mystery out of parenthood. Pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you. He will. I promise you, he always will. If you'll just accept what he's given you and your children and trust that he's given to give you the grace to do it. And so with that, uh, pray for us. We'll be praying for you. God bless. And we'll see you next week. Bye.